Welcome, investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. So when you do find something that's worthy of a mistrial, maybe explain that a little more because when you say in the appeals process, if something goes through the appeal, it's rarely actually dismissed and the charges are dropped. Did I understand that? Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's exactly right. So let's just say that you're convicted of murder and I handle your appeal and I find that the prosecution violated your confrontation rights by not having the forensic scientists who created whatever reports actually testify. And the court says, you know what? I agree. That was wrong. The prosecution needed to bring those witnesses in. And we find that the results of the trial just can't be relied upon. So you're going to win your appeal. Well, now the prosecution gets to retry you and bring those witnesses in. Hmm. So so that's kind of... The appeals court will basically just say, you need to try again. Do this again. Or we'll give you the opportunity to. I mean... In in practice, what typically happens, because prosecutors have incredible caseloads like everyone else, if a case does get reversed on appeal, oftentimes they'll be like, okay, let's work out a plea deal. Or you take 20 (laughs) and then move the case. Okay. That's in my experience. I've found a lot of prosecutors don't really like trying the same cases over and over again. Well, in that circumstance, would your client, the defendant, actually take the deal? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's something. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is something that a lot of defendants want to happen. I mean, it's interesting, right? What I found is that criminal defendants typically have a better assessment of the strength of the government's case or the state's case after they've been convicted (laughs) and wish they had taken the plea offer. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. If they, they roll the dice and end up actually getting convicted then usually the outcome and the sentence is a lot worse than any of the plea deals that they would have taken. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a trial tax. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's it's the thought just kind of rang home really strong with me. I actually had a friend lived in my neighborhood who was accused by a minor of sexually assaulting her multiple times. They supposedly it was consensual and based on her side of the story, she accused him of us sexually assaulting her multiple times and in multiple locations. And it was all just kind of fabricated. But he went through, she's like three. Well, first of all, he worked on like kind of the behavioral side. And so he immediately lost his job. And I know he almost lost his home, but that whole process took years, like three years to actually go to trial. And because the prosecution side I think the prosecution side was so weak that mm-hmm. they didn't want to go to trial. I think they wanted to string things out to in yep. order to get the plea deal. But even if he pled guilty, number one, his career is destroyed as if it wasn't damaged enough, but it would have been completely destroyed. He would have gone to prison for how many years? And he was looking at like 15, 20 years oh, if gosh. he pled guilty. But if he went to trial, and he was found guilty. He was looking at 30 plus years, but he rolled the dice. He said, you know what? I'm innocent and I'm going to make them prove their case. And he did. And personally, being on the DNA side, based on what the, the accusations were, I, I was like, okay, from my perspective, I'm like, 
if what had happened had actually happened, her DNA would be everywhere. And it would be, you wouldn't even need our system. Our system is like really robust. It, it can collect DNA off rocks and bricks and all sorts of crazy things. And you could collect it with a spoon and still be able to, to get a good profile. And so <laughs> right. I, I was like, there's no way that the prosecution can actually say without a shadow of a doubt that that actually happened in this location if they can't find her DNA there. So that, that was just one of those things where I'm like, yeah, you know what? There's no way this guy is guilty. Obviously, crimes against children to me are just the most heinous and just yeah. make me sick to my stomach. But I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I kept telling his friend, I was like, you know what, dude, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm telling you from the DNA specific side, you mm -hmm. have a really strong defense against this. And they eventually went to trial and uh, he was found not guilty on on all accounts. And wow, it, it's it, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I just watched what happened to that family and it was just absolutely brutal. And yeah. just the way it was, it was strung out and it was delayed. And the prosecutors are like, well, we think we found new evidence. And it was just all garbage. It was interesting. I actually went to, it was like a week, a little over a week where the prosecution was giving their side of it. And during one of the breaks, I was in the bathroom and washing my hands and I overheard some lawyers and they said, you know what, in a minor, I don't know exactly how they said it, but there was no way that that case wasn't going to trial. And it just specifically just because of the harshness, I guess, of the allegation. That's right. Nature of the allegations. I mean, for guys who are charged with sex crimes against children, that's tough. I mean, juries want to convict. Yeah. Which again, I think the prosecutors were really using that pressure, but, mm -hmm. but they were also using the process as yeah. part of the punishment because they just kept delaying it. it. It was just unbelievable to me. They're like, oh yeah, we're in another delay. They're exploring more evidence. And I'm like, oh, they've had three years to do this. It's just ridiculous to me that, that that would happen. But I think they knew their case was weak. And so they yeah. were just trying to string things out long enough to, to get the guy to just break. And finally just say, you know what, I'm done. That happens all the time. I mean, yeah. here in South Carolina, I take it your guy at least was out on bond. But, you know, a lot of inmates who are not on bond, they sit down at the detention center until the prosecutors come back with a, a plea deal that just they call it doing solicitor time. Well, that part of the process, I think, to the lay citizen just really drives us crazy because we're like, how can you possibly say that you are part of the justice system when there's no justice involved by by stringing out an innocent citizen in order to get a conviction that you haven't earned or and, and don't deserve as a prosecutor. And that part of it, I mean, I understand each side has to do their job, but right. at some junction, everybody has to revert back to being human and saying, you know what? We don't have a case, even though it is a minor that is accusing an adult right. of sexual assault. If there's no case and there's no evidence and where there should be, 100% right. should be. And I mean, to me, that case just really, <laughs> obviously, you're, you're probably getting it that that case in particular just really it doesn't sit well with me. No, and I mean, I, I wish I could say that that was sort of unusual, but it's not. The weaker cases will just sit out there forever. And oftentimes, a defendant will have to make a motion for a speedy trial just to bring the, the whole thing to a head. 
lawyers don't want to do that because you're terrified that you're just kind of hoping that maybe if this goes on long enough, maybe the prosecution will finally dismiss it. But otherwise, they'll, they can just sort of make you wait. Yeah. Well, especially with them. I mean, this case in particular, the right to a speedy trial was definitely not granted to this friend of mine. Mm -hmm. So. So, hey, just really quick, in the news, I'm sure you've tracked this. I'm not even sure what the guy's name is, but up in Wisconsin, there was that trial where the guy drove his SUV into the Christmas parade. Yeah. Um, Are you familiar with that case? I mean, I remember seeing it on the news. I recall that. Okay. Well, yeah. From all the videos that I've seen of this particular trial, first of all, I think it was really early in the process. He declared himself a sovereign citizen and, oh and fired and fired his defense team. And so he represented <laughs> That's himself. right. That guy. Yes, 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 yes. That is, I mean, oh my gosh. Yes. The sovereign citizens. It never goes well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and I, I particularly, first of all, that judge, God bless her, her patience level had to have been so... What do you think was going through the mind of that judge? I mean, she had to have certain, I mean, even judges have, have certain codes of conduct where they have to do things properly. Otherwise the case can get thrown out. Right. Oh yeah. 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 Right. I mean, her job is to make sure that his rights to due process are recognized regardless of how obstreperous and difficult somebody is. And she's got to maintain control of the courtroom. I think there's a reason why this trial went for, I mean, how long was it? It was like a pretty long trial. What I saw on TV, she was just sort of bending over backwards to make sure that this was functioning as a trial should. I mean, kudos to her. I'm sure sure it was exhausting. (laughs) Some of his antics and outbursts and things. I think one of the reasons it strung on so long is because she had to keep kicking him out and Mm -hmm. correcting him. And the guy was just, uh, as a defense attorney, have you ever had a client like say, I'm going to represent myself? No, but that's, you know, I do mostly the appeals. So I, right. it, and I just luckily never had all that. <laughs> and I've had clients who are kind of around the sovereign citizen group. I mean, they're incredibly difficult people. And I don't know if they're finding one another on the internet, but it's a thing. And it doesn't matter where in the country, if you say to a criminal defense attorney, you start talking about sovereign citizens, everyone's got kind of a story, you yeah. know? I mean, <laughs> and it's just sort of craziness. I don't believe that anybody or anything like a court has jurisdiction over them, correct? See, I just wonder if that's a legitimate belief. I mean, I know that that's what they say, but it's so irrational that it would seem to me to be evidence of a serious mental illness if you actually believe that, because that's just a delusion. And so I, I really question the sincerity of a lot of the sovereign citizen movement people, frankly. I mean, well, apparently this guy believes that because he went even through the court process with it. Apparently it didn't work too well for him because no, uh, it, it, it never does. <laughs> <laughs> it never does. Yeah. I mean, there's not a single sovereign citizen who has like won their trial. Yeah. Well, it's the very premise that you don't have jurisdiction over me. Therefore, you can't throw me in jail, even if I did something wrong. That that premise alone is just like, well, wrong, because I am going to throw you in jail. 
Right. So. And, and here you are in jail. <laughs> so I yeah, can. The walls and the bars around you. I don't know. I'm always doing research on different cases and different trials and things like that. And that one just, yeah, I don't know. YouTube just <laughs> felt that that was one that I should be really interested in because I kept seeing them appear in my feed. And I'm, I'm like, okay, well, but they're so <laughs> fascinating just watching this guy in his defense he was trying to put up for himself and i don't know even as a lay citizen i'm not an attorney and so i just sitting there watching this guy and i'm like common sense alone would tell you that you know what what you just said is just garbage it's <laughs> i'm sure that judge is just saying oh my lord are you kidding me did you really just say that so interesting times we have some people around us that are just yeah Interesting folks. So, hey, to wrap up things here. So if anybody wanted to get a hold of you and needed a really good appeals attorney, how would they get a hold of you? We've got our website, www.elizabethfranklinbest.com. And then, I mean, always welcome to call our office at 803-445-1333. And so who would be your ideal client? And not necessarily um, ideal on, I don't know, maybe that's the wrong word, but if I had just been convicted, why would I want to call you versus somebody else? Well, we've got tons of experience at this point, and which is we're very creative and aggressive advocates. I mean, that's just kind of the best way to put it. I mean, I, we're always looking for kind of new ways to frame issues and new challenges to raise. Like right now, the First Step Act, which was came into existence in December of 2018, has provided a new way for federal defendants to actually try to get their cases back in court with compassionate release petitions. So we're having kind of a good time sort of exploring that whole area, seeing if there are any new challenges that we can raise to help our clients. So between that and like the Bruin case, I mean, that's kind of what we're spending a lot of time on these days, just trying to push the boundaries of where the law is, just to see if we can get some guys some relief. So that's just kind of what we do. We spend time just sort of focused on what I think are kind of interesting and creative ways of doing this. I think it's sort of the benefit of having like an appellate firm versus just a regular sort of trial firm. I mean, we have kind of the resources and we're set up to do these kinds of challenges. We're not running off to court here and there like a lot of other criminal defense attorneys are. So it's just sort of giving us a, we're just sort of set up to handle these sorts of cases in a way that a lot of traditional law firms aren't. Oh, interesting. All right. Well, Elizabeth, I appreciate it. And it's been a very, uh, just fascinating discussion for me. And I, I hope it's been a good experience for you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. It's very nice to meet you as well. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm sure your folks that helped us get together explained to you that we're all about exploring <laughs> the entire process. And that, that includes right. the evidence in the investigative side, but you know, once the investigation's concluded to the point where mm -hmm. the prosecution feels they have a case and they'll they'll move forward, then they run up against people like you. But I can't think of a group of professionals on the defense lawyer that has a worse reputation as far as getting the bad guys off when they should be in jail. But at the same time, I think of my friend that was falsely accused of yeah. sexual assault and his defense attorney literally saved his entire life because he was basically my age and would have spent the better part of his life, the rest of yeah. his life in prison, uh, knowing that he was innocent. And I can't think of yeah. anybody that if you're falsely accused and the 
systems coming down on you. I can't think of anybody that would be a better friend than a, a really good defense attorney. So yes, absolutely necessary part of our process. So thank you again. And I hope you have a great day. Have a great Thanksgiving and uh, be well out there in South Carolina. <laughs> All right. Take care. Hey, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together, we will bring justice to every victim.